0: we're in Colossians. This is our third week. I'm going to get into our scripture for the day. Is that okay? All right, we're going to read about 15 verses. Then I'm going to preach about six or eight of them because that's sort of the limits of my skill level to get us through in a timely manner. All right, you can put up the verses. There we go. All right, so this is, uh, this is Colossians 2 if you want to turn there and kind of read along in your Bible. But I want you to know, this is Paul speaking, writing to this church in Colossae. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. That's all of us in this room, Paul, struggling hard for those of us who would come and be a part of this Christ tradition, yeah? My goal, I love it, Paul has a goal. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, give me an amen if you've received Christ Jesus as Lord. Come on, amen. Continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, amen? And having disarmed the powers and authorities, come on, that's good news. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen? Hey, there's a lot in here. And so, like I said, I'm going to do verses, you know, one, one to eight-ish. Is that okay? All right, so let's get in it. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. And for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And the question I want to start with here is, what is Paul's struggle? What is he working so hard to communicate to this church and other churches in the area? And I want to start by responding to that question in this way. When we read Paul and when when we look at his ministry, we're often going to see Paul wearing one of two hats. He certainly wears more than two hats, but there's two primary hats as an apostle of Jesus that you're going to find him wearing. The first is this. He's often planting new churches or founding new faith communities, right? Like we see this in his life in ministry. He's eager to travel to places that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to see those people repent, turn towards Jesus, and begin to form a faith community or a church who lives faithfully to the ways and life and teachings of Jesus. Amen? So this is one function of Paul's apostolic ministry. But here to this church, we see one of his, his other primary functions, which is this, as an apostle... Paul guards the core DNA of young communities who have been founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what Paul now is doing here, like a good father, is he's writing back to a church, one that he's not yet met, but he's writing in concern for this church to remember who they are, what and whom they are founded in, and to encourage them to continue to live faithfully in what they have already received. You see, Paul here is not presenting something new for this church. He is reminding them to stay faithful and steadfast in what they have already heard and received. And so Paul's struggle here is his struggle is to remind this church who they are, to remind them what they've received, because like any community or like any individual, what's beginning to happen is the rival narratives are beginning to emerge. Voices outside of the community, some probably with no ill intent at all, and frankly, probably some with some quite ill intent towards them, to undermine the gospel that they've received, to uproot them, to, to tell them the foundation that they've built on isn't complete, that it's not enough, that they need something different or something more. And Paul is concerned about this because as we'll go on to read, his message is, no, you have received Christ and therefore you have received all there is to receive. That you you don't want to be swayed by these rival voices and these these other narratives that are communicating how the world works and therefore how you are to live. You have received Christ. Christ, and Christ informs who you are, how you live, how we respond. What's interesting here to me, by the way, is that Paul calls these things plausible arguments. I like this because Paul's saying there's actually some really good arguments out there. There's some good arguments as for why maybe Jesus isn't the one to follow. Why maybe rooting your life and building your life in Christ isn't the way to invest and live your life, right? Like, how many of you know? You know there's, like, good, smart arguments out there. Can we, can we just admit that? We're, we live in the information age. We don't have to look very hard to find good arguments that are counter to anything that you value or believe in. Not only Christ. I mean, you can find good arguments for... Why you shouldn't eat the way you do or parent the way you do or do marriage the way you do or to do education the way you do or to dress the way you do or to do anything the way you, to drive the car you drive, the house you, like any of that stuff, right? There's plausible arguments. Now, this, though, is what I want us to catch about Paul. Because I think so often what we think of about Paul, and this isn't wrong to think this about Paul, is that he's a brilliant thinker and brilliant debater, You know, like Romans is a really good argument. He's a thorough thinker, right? In in today's language, maybe like thought leader, right? And practitioner. He kind of does both. But here's the thing I want us to catch about Paul, and I think this is important as we read on in Colossians, is that for Paul, Christianity isn't really a debate, though, to win. It's not, an, it's not an argument to make. It's a life to live," which is why he uses language like "be rooted in and built upon. Because he's not trying to equip this church to win an argument with the rival narratives. He's attempting to equip this church to live the life in Christ they were called to live a life of simplicity, a life of humility, a life of prayerfulness. We'll get into the things that mark the kind of life that Paul is calling to these, these folks too and us in later chapters, right? But, but this is what Paul is after. And I think that's important for us as, as followers of Jesus here in 2023, about to be 2024. It's, it's like, what are the rival narratives in our life seeking to displace us from our faith and trust in Jesus, but not just in how we think about the world we live in, but how, do, how we live in the world we live in. Who are the voices? What is the message that is seeking to disrupt your faithful living, your practices of living, in Jesus, like your real life in Jesus, right? Like not just how we can check the boxes of doctrinal clarity and theological astuteness and biblical understanding, but in the way I respond to my roommates when they're mad at me, the way I respond to my wife in a moment of frustration how I parent my kids on no sleep and they need someone to help regulate them and I can't even find the way to regulate myself. Like how? Right, like amen. Come on, these are the things that Paul is getting to the heart of because this Jesus thing isn't just a disembodied faith of going somewhere someday, but it really matters here and now in the day-to-day moments of our life. Is this making sense? And so this is Paul's struggle. This is what he's working hard for. And then in Colossians 2, 2-4, to he says this. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so they may have all the riches and assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Encouraged. I want to highlight that word for a moment because this is such a good spiritual leadership word. And whether you're leading in ministry or leading in your home, encouragement would be a really good strategy for you to pick up. Encouragement. I want you to be encouraged. Think about what it feels like to you when you are encouraged. It doesn't feel like condemnation. It doesn't feel like someone pinning you in a corner. It doesn't feel like someone drilling down on the guilt and shame that you feel and making sure that you feel every ounce of guilt and shame that you need to feel. It's not someone bringing a word against you, it's someone bringing a word for you, to you, reminding you who you already are and why that matters to you. Encouragement. Encouragement is a great tool for us in our friendships. Are we an encourager of our friends? Do we remind them who who they are? In our dating relationships, in our living situations, in our marriages, in our parenting, do we remind the people closest to us who they are? That's what Paul's doing here. He's reminding this church who they are in Christ. Do we remind the people within our sphere of influence who they are in Christ? Because this is the stuff we guard Can I take a parenting detour? Of course in parenting, we instill our kids with a sense of purpose and meaning, with a sense of values and principles, with a sense of discipline, with a sense of resilience. You can do hard things. You can get back up after you fall, right? Like we instill, that's the apostolic or fatherly function of that ministry. We instill those things into our children. And we must learn to remind them who they are in it. Not bring accusation against them when they don't live up to it, but to remind them who they are. One of my favorite things that my youngest son is starting to do is every once in a while, he'll just pause and he'll say to me or my wife, he'll, he'll say, I'm the kind of person who. He's, he's seven, seven. And I love this for multiple reasons. One, I love it because of it's, it's, a, it's like pretty good emotional awareness for that age. I'm the kind of person who, and he'll say, feels this. Or I'm the kind of person who likes this. Or I'm the kind of person who does this. It's good awareness. I like it because it's good differentiation. Part of what he's recognizing is he's not like his brother or his parents in every way and all ways. And he's in an environment where that's acceptable. Differentiation is acceptable, parents. <laughs> and what I like, what, what, what touches me in this is, is knowing that because he is learning who he is, it's an opportunity for my wife and I to encourage him in who he is. And so, in the life of a seven year old, they maybe. Failing on the soccer field is something that he might have big feelings about. I'm the kind of person who feels big feelings. And if you've ever played sports, then you know there might be a coach who might shut down the feeling of big feelings. Because feeling things might be unacceptable in that environment. And so to have, right, that's the counter-narrative, isn't it? See, in one environment, it's okay for him to feel big feelings and be the kind of person who feels. In another environment, it may not be okay. And so now as parents, what we have the opportunity to do is to remind him as that counter-narrative comes, is to say, yes, you are a person who feels. And that's a beautiful part of how God made you. And you don't have to listen to this other voice. We get to encourage them, and that's what Paul's doing here. You are the kind of people who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, have rooted your lives in that revelation, have begin, began to build your lives in this community around all that that revelation means, and now there are counter and rival narratives coming at you, seeking to displace you from this, and I'm writing back with great struggle and concern to say, no, stay rooted Stay steadfast. Keep doing it. You see, he's not. Well, let me say this. Here's the other thing that I like about encouragement. We live in a culture right now where content, right? I've heard this phrase so many times. Content is king. And we know this because content is money. Which means there's so much right for us to consume and to learn and there's, there's so much pressure to get on with the new thing and the next thing and the new way and the next way and the way they do it and the way they say it and the way they teach it and my point here isn't to offer a criticism of saying content creation is a bad thing I'm preaching a message I'm creating content that's, that's, not, that's not my point But my point is sometimes what we can do is lose focus with all the new things out here that we can forget to just be encouraged in the most simple things that we already know we have. And the simple things of doing what we already know to do because of the simplicity of who we already are in Christ. And that's part of what Paul's saying here. You already have received Jesus. You already know who you are in Christ. You already know the kind of life to build. So why don't you get on with doing that? Is this okay? So he's not communicating something that that the the church here doesn't know or hasn't heard. His goal here is to to affirm what they do know and what they have heard which maybe can sound really boring to us. Because like maybe you show up to church, it's interesting, right? Like maybe you show up to church in an environment like this and you just want to hear new stuff all the time. And can I give you the, can I pull the curtain back at least how I prepare? I'm almost never thinking of like the new thing to say. I'm thinking what's the thing we already know that we can affirm and confirm and remind us to continue building our lives around That's the stuff we need to be encouraging. That's what good coaching is. Right? Like like people at the highest level of any sort of performative work. The best coaches are the ones who have eyes to see the smallest degrees of drift from the most basic principles of that performance. From soccer to dance to fine arts to whatever, right? It's an eye to see the smallest drift from the most important principles. Right? I mean, the people at the highest levels of things. You know, some of us, when we go to the gym, it's like you, just squatting, like just getting a bar on your back and getting down and up is a win. But if you're doing that at the highest level, Having a coach who doesn't give you a new technique, but having a coach who can see the drift of your feet and your toes and your hips and your back and all those sorts of things like really matters, right? As you begin to load that thing with all kinds of weight. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's like, I'm watching for the small ways that a community can drift because the weight of the world is out there and is coming. And if you drift a little bit, you may lose a load-bearing capacity. And we want to be people who can carry the load with strength. Not necessarily as a burden, but because in Christ, we have a capacity to carry and be in life. Yeah? All right. Then he says this. I love this. He talks about the mystery. Talks about the mystery being Christ. And then he says, All the treasure in that mystery is Christ. And this is where it really. I think hopefully connects for us. Paul is going to great lengths here to let us know that when you have Jesus, you have the mystery revealed the mystery of God. There's not another secret for you to apprehend. Jesus isn't a sign pointing to a transcendent mystery beyond himself. Jesus isn't a guide helping us live more compassionate lives, although you will be formed into a compassionate person if you follow Jesus. Jesus isn't one guide among many guides. Jesus is God. Right? We read it, full deity and full humanity dwelt in bodily form in Jesus. Jesus is the mystery revealed, Which means Jesus is the treasure. Which means the question for us is how different would you live if you knew there were a million dollars in your bank account? Because all the spiritual riches of Christ are in your bank account. So what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? How differently do we shape our lives knowing that the full riches of Christ are in our account? How differently do we root our lives? How differently do we build our life knowing that what we're building on is enough? Building on Christ, it's enough. And yes, the wind will come. And yes, the rain will come. And yes, life may bring tragedy and hardship. Jesus, in fact, promised those things would come. And those things coming aren't a reason to listen to the rival narratives and move on from Jesus. Those things are the very indicator for us to root deeper and to continue to build upon the foundation of Jesus. And so the invitation for us this morning is, what do I do to continue rooting my life in Christ? What do I do to continue to build my life upon Jesus? It might be different for all of us. But as we close, what I want to do is I want to I flashback, because there's a verse in chapter one, that talks about Christ, the mystery. And Paul says it this way. I think it's in verse 28 of chapter one. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That when he talks about the mystery being revealed, in chapter two, he says Christ. He shorthands it, Christ, Jesus. In chapter one, he kind of says it in this, in this way. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The band can come. I know, it's a little shorter than I normally go. Sorry. So what happens when I limits y'all, I'm learning. Six or eight verses. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to I end here because how do we, the question asks is, how do we continue to enter into the mystery? And I think part of entering into the mystery of Jesus is to recognize that Christ is in us. That Christ isn't just out here somewhere that Christ is in us. I am in you as you are in me that there is union, there's a relational connection. And what this means is is that Christ is in every moment of our life. The mystery of Jesus in part is that your life ma- like every part of your life matters. And so how then do we live with that awareness? Or maybe that's the invitation is to live with that awareness, Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But it's this hope of glory part that's so amazing because what it means is that, is that whatever is going on in your life right now isn't the final word. Christ is the final word. Christ is the hope of glory. The hope that things will find healing and restoration is that Christ is in you, the hope of glory the hope of healing and transformation. In fact, I want to talk about suffering. And I know this hasn't really been a message about suffering, suffering, but I I just feel this in my heart right now that, you know, like Christ in you, the mystery of Christ in you is this, is that if you are suffering this morning, Christ is in you suffering your suffering. Christ is in you experiencing your experience. And that's good news because the good news of that is whatever suffering you are suffering, one, you're not alone. Christ suffers it with you. Christ is not distant from you or afraid of your suffering. No, Christ is suffering it with you. And that suffering won't have the final word. That there will be healing, that there will be restoration. There will. Some of the early church fathers said it this way, that Christ became what you are, that you might become who Christ is. That's the hope of glory. That's the mystery of God revealed to us in Jesus, now available to all of us. God became what you are, what we are, so that we might become who God is. So two, six, and seven. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here's the encouragement this morning. Continue to live your life in Jesus as Jesus lives his life in you. Amen.